Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where the events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. And my name is John Keeley. This is the podcast segment of the show that is not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for the 362nd show is Cindy Sweet, Executive Director of the Iowa Museum Association, who will be talking to us about the Teaching Iowa History Project. Our history buff is Rick Sweet. Rick, can you start us off, please? I would be more than happy. Cindy, I understand a rumor that uh, your project may have, in fact, been recognized through a national award. Is that uh, true? It is. It was It was a real stunner. I was absolutely flabbergasted and just, just thrilled. I was in Washington, D.C. in February at an event, and um, the American Alliance of Museums awarded uh, me their Advocacy Leadership Award. And at first glance, you may say, well, what does advocacy leadership have to do with the Teaching Iowa History Project? But Teaching Iowa History is raising awareness statewide about the role of museums as stewards, as educators, and as community anchors. And I I could actually share a little bit about what Laura Lott, the president of AAM, said, if if you would like to hear it. Please, feel free. (laughs) uh, Just a couple of sentences. She said, despite museums' important roles as education centers, community anchors, and economic engines, Museums are too frequently taken for granted. That's why I'm such a staunch supporter of the Iowa Museum Association's Teaching Iowa History Program, a super smart statewide project that supports K-12 educators to teach Iowa history using primary sources from the state's museums and historical societies. It's an exemplar of the role museums can play as core K-12 educational partners in its groundbreaking work. Laura Lott, Bravo. president of Bravo. the American Alliance of Museums. Isn't that nice to just yep. have, so nice. to yes, have the project is. recognized like that? There was an audience of about 400 folks from museums all across the nation, and I was just stunned, but so grateful. Well, congratulations. Okay. Yeah, Cindy, um, just give our listeners a range. Um, so give give us a range of the kinds of of uh, artifacts and and collected materials that are there. So, for example, I'm thinking ROI would be an audio history. Um, there have to be museums with um, Native American artifacts and other museums with um, early settler artifacts. So how big of a range have we got access to? Um, there's over 800 objects in the database right now. Um, in, in just the database associated with our museums and the Teaching Iowa History Project. And, of course, also on our website we have links to a lot of other online collections. Um, but in ours there's about 800 objects so far, and there's a, a really wide range. So there's things associated with, um, like, the first woman ambassador who happened to be from Iowa, or Alexander Clark in, in the groundbreaking um, work on desegregation. Um, there's things uh, like a gown worn by um, a prominent citizen in Des Moines uh, and her story. Um, There's things like um, 
log cabin furnishings and why they were important to that particular community. And, and I think what, what I see as we continue to build this is kind of this, this entire story of Iowa um, through the lens of every historical society, every museum that's been collecting. And it's, it's like uh, what's important in Davenport or what's important to Cedar Falls history or Des Moines history. And those are the things then that they send, um, and, and it starts to tell a really neat story. It's also really exciting to see this database of people starting to grow because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't know everybody that was significant in Clinton County history or Powasheet County history, but those local historians know, and they can send us that information and those biographies and those pictures and tell us what those people did for the state. And so then it becomes, it just becomes this rich tapestry of, of information and artifacts associated with those stories. It's just fascinating. Okay. Cindy, um, when you were talking before about that you're pretty much this project is it's been working on in two years. Uh, what are some of your hopes within the next two years uh, that you guys hope to accomplish with this? I mean, uh, the great thing about ideas like this, you start off in one direction, but as you pointed out to our listeners, there's so much really neat information coming along. People are, are finding interest in it, and of course, teach. two years to hopefully uh, obtain. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that will happen in the next couple of years. Um, we have one year left on our, our current grant, and what we want to do is hopefully get the website designed. And then what I want to do with the next grant is get the uh, database building more. I want to see every Iowa museum participating. I want to see every county so that if I'm a teacher in Clay County, I can go to this database and I can find objects that illustrate the stories that I want to tell about this happened here in Clay County and this illustrates the larger story that happened in Iowa and the nation and the world. Um, I, I don't want it to just be about um, the quote-unquote important people that everybody knows about from Iowa. I want teachers to be able to find relevant information to their county so that they can make lessons meaningful to their students this happened just down the road, and here's, here's an artifact that can help illustrate that and take a look at this. Um, so I do want that database to grow considerably, and I want the essays to grow considerably. And I, I've been communicating with a number of um, historians, and we have a database of, of self-identified historians in Iowa. They're academics, they're local historians, they're subject matter experts, and just inviting them when they have time, submit submit an essay, and you know let's let's build up that database so that we can offer as much information to the teachers as possible. And then I have one one thing that I'm interested in doing that I don't know if it's even realistic. <laughs> um, we have a bibliography on the site under educator resources. There's a bibliography of over 400 um, Iowa-related secondary sources, and. I don't know if it would be possible or not, but if it is, I would like to annotate that bibliography so that a teacher can click on that and see a little bit about what that, that secondary source is about, and then if it's available on, as a PDF someplace, I'd like to link to it so that it's just click, click, here it is. Um, again, just trying to make it as easy and convenient as possible for teachers to get the information they want. Cindy, uh, the like question you, you say... Cindy, you said you're, you're, you have one more year on your initial grant. Uh, 
is does the state of Iowa uh, uh, provide any funding for this, uh, and where where do you seek funding for the project as it goes forward? Um, the the state doesn't provide funding. Um, the state the state doesn't provide um, any funding for the Iowa Museum Association or for Iowa museums for that matter. Um, however, I was able to get a um, State Historical Society of Iowa Historic Resource Development Project grant as part of our matching funds. Um, the the initial grant that funded this was a National Endowment for the Humanities. Um, Connecting to Communities grant, and that was a matching grant. So the NEH gave us $60,000, and then we had to raise another $60,000, and then that was to fund a three-year project. And so as part of the match that we had to raise, the HRDP program through the State Historical Society of Iowa did fund that, and we were very grateful to receive that. The rest of our match um, came from our partners, and came from individuals and organizations. We had a lot of individuals and even museums that contributed match funds to make this happen. And going forward, where I'll go back to is the National Endowment for the Humanities and seek seek grant funds there. They have some really great projects. It's very competitive. It's national, um, but you know, you you just you got to try, right? Right. Right. Oh yeah, Cindy. Um... I'm interested in what kind of outreach you are doing to um, groups that are not generally thought of in the mainstream of Iowa history. I'm thinking of um, minorities. Uh, I'm thinking maybe of um, marginalized groups, so um, you know, gay gay kinds of rights and things like that. Um, how are how are you doing anything in particular to make sure that that everyone who contributes to who's contributed to Iowa history is getting to be represented as part of the project? Probably not enough yet, but hopefully going forward we'll we'll be able to address that. One of the things that we're doing so far, of course, is by involving any Iowa museum, we're also involving the stories that those museums are telling. So, for example, when I think about um, Immigrant populations, the Grout Museum uh, in Waterloo has a great collection of oral histories from recent Bosnian immigrants that are part of our database. And when I think about um, the African-American population, and particularly Buxton, Iowa, and that great story, um, the African-American Museum of Iowa has those artifacts and is telling that story. So we're really kind of depending on our museums to be telling those, those stories and, and sharing those artifacts. But the other thing that we're doing, of course, is we're linking out to all of the members of the Iowa or Iowa History Advisory Council and their <laughs> projects. And so if you look down through, through what they're doing, you'll find even more of that because, of course, we're linking out to the Meskwaki Nation and the Office of the State Archaeologist and um, Hard One Not <laughs> Done, the, the League of Women Voters, and all of those kinds of things. So I know we can do more, but we're doing what we can at this point, yeah. Okay, John, you get the last question. Well, along that line, the question is uh, you gave our listeners a very credible array of um, ethnic backgrounds are, uh, and the reason I'm asking this is this, is there some um, documentation on uh, the Vietnamese migration 
to Iowa because in the early, uh, I think late 60s, early 70s, Governor Ray, after the Vietnam War, opened the door for uh, Vietnamese refugees to move to Iowa and a large population, of course, uh, settled here in Davenport and the Quad Cities. Is there um, any research or kind of documentation about their migration and settlement here in Iowa? That's really great that you asked that. I did not know that there had been a large population in the Quad Cities. I actually reached out to the Cedar Falls Historical Society because we had um, several Vietnamese families that settled in Cedar Falls in the 70s as part of that um, wave. And so I had reached out to Cedar Falls and asked if they had artifacts related to that, and unfortunately they didn't. I did not know that the Quad Cities also had that population, so I can check with them, and that'll be one great way to get that. Do you know if there's any museums there that are collecting that or did collect that? Well, I don't know if there's exactly museums, but we definitely have a a community here. I mean, and the reason I I sit there and talk a lot about this is because when I went to high school, uh, the first, the second generation of Vietnamese um, refugees were going to school in the Davenport School District, and it was very obvious that um, Governor Ray's invitation was one of the most humanitarian things to ever happen in this state. But school districts, as far as dealing with language and culture, uh, were not really prepared for as many that came. And I must admit, I've been teaching in the same district for 26 years. We've had generations later, well, of course, they're still a very prominent part of our community. Uh, we, you'd have to probably go to, like you, I'm sure you do in Cedar Falls, the local historians. Yeah, and, and one of the things that we have to keep in mind about this project is we're only using uh, primary sources that are held in publicly accessible collections. So I have had right. individuals say to me, well, I've got an X, Y, or Z that's really cool. Would you include that? And I have to say, no, I'm only including objects that the public has access to. So um, okay. it, it definitely bears looking into to see if any of the collecting organizations in the Quad Cities um, have some material on that, that migration, because that would be really interesting to include. I was disappointed that, that Cedar Falls really didn't have anything. Um, but, yeah, let's, let's keep looking into that sort of thing. Okay. All right. Well, we would like to thank our guest for this 362nd show, Cindy Sweet, Executive Director of the Iowa Museum Association, who talked to us about the Teaching Iowa History Project. The history buff for today's show was Rick Sweet. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put K-A-L-A-H-D-2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put K-A-L-A Radio, all one word, in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find ROI shows. ROI is recorded at station K-A-L-A, St. Ambrose University.